It's Tuesday, June 29th, and you've got Oz in your ears. This is David Osman for Radio Free Oz, and I'm backstage just off the main set of Afghan Gladiator. That's that hot new TV show that gives returning vets from AFPAC a chance to go back for another tour of counterinsurgency. Exciting show, and here's the winner of tonight's contest, the former National Guardsman who already revolved through eight tours over there. It's PTSD First Class Crystal McStanley. Well, tell us something about yourself, Chris. Uh, yes, sir. Well, um, I joined the Marines when I was 18 for on-the-job training, and it sure was because, uh, like, uh, three days later, I was in AFPAC. Oh, really? want to go back, but they said I'm too used up, so I guess I showed them up. Well, I guess you did. Well, Ed, you, you must have brought home some souvenirs or something from your last tour, right? Yeah, PTSD, night sweats, the crabs, and I used to be a woman, but the Army took care of that the last time I, I looked. Oh, really? Well, well, that's sad, uh, yet there's something comfortably uh, ironic about, about that, too, Chris. But uh, tell us all about the Afghan Gladiator Challenge. Well, sure, sir. Uh, first, there's the uh, pop-up firefights. Uh-huh. I get five points for every turban, and, and I lose five for every CD. That's collateral, collateral damage. damage. I ended up just, just over even. Uh-huh. Then there's the uh, IED swamp thing. I had to drain the swamp and replace it with a girls' school uh-huh. without blowing anybody up. Uh-huh. And, Nation building. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And then comes Bribe the Warlord stuff, bribe you know. Warlord, it's uh-huh. tee up or get terminated on the Kabul to freaking nowhere highway. Cost me an arm and a leg. Oh, really? Glad it wasn't mine. Uh, well, me too. Say, you survived those first three t- challenges, and, and but 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 how did the big show end up? It ended up, man, in the poppy field. You know, you have to dream your way out of it. Really? It's kind of like the war itself, huh? Well, tell me, how, how'd you do it? Well, I used my big jar here of Fratricide. It's, it's a meth-enhanced electrolyte replacement system, and it keeps me up all day. Because, uh-huh. see, over there, they, they, they own the day uh, and the night. It really uh-huh. doesn't matter. Well, uh, so wait, you you won something, though, besides the, the tour to go back. Yeah, right? I get this case of Bud Light Lime. That's enough to get the general from Paris to Berlin in my new Hummer. The Army gave you a Hummer? And just the down payment, but it's got robusted air conditioning and skin seats. Well, so cool. that's your job. It's not not a tough one. You're just driving the general. No, huh? sir. Our orders are to clear hold and forget about it. Well, but what about winning the war? There's no winning, sir. It's uh, uh, just survival. Well, PTSD, First Class Crystal McSamley, that's just what you've done on Afghan Gladiator today. So, from me to you, good luck on your way back to Stan. Thanks. By the way, all those countries over there are called Stan something. What does that mean? Did they tell you what that means? Yeah, sir, Stan is Muslim for pain. Afghani pain, Uzbekis pain, Paki pain, Missouri pain. (laughs) Well, no pain, no gain. Yeah, well, lots of one and uh, none of the other. But but it's a good war, sir. Uh I already signed up my unborn children to... Go over there and forget when I'm going to go over and uh, clear and hold. Well, it sounds like you've got it all under control, uh, Stan. And and, and this is uh, David Osmond for Radio Free Oz here at the Bob Hope Studios in Burbank, California. Yeah, you do have Oz in your ears. You're either up on RadioFreeOz.com, streaming away, or you're iPodding or doing something electronically interesting. I'm your host, Peter Bergman, my co-host, David Osmond. Hey, Pete, it's good to be back on the air after being on the road. That's true. Yeah, show's in uh, Ashland, uh, the center of uh, American Shakespeare. They sure like 
they sure liked our new Anything You Want To. That went over beautifully. Uh, well, since uh, <clears throat> since Shakespeare wrote that great scene about the oil spill 400 years ago. Yeah, how do you know? I don't know. And all those BP references. The guy is prescient. Oh, man. smart, oh. smart, really smart. Uh, Mr. Bergman? Oh, uh, Sheriff Axehandle. Excuse me for Come interrupting. Come on in. Yeah, excuse it's me time for, for your report. Yeah. Well, I, I got my weekly report here, and it sure is. A, uh, there, I tell you, there's a strange history here to this uh, Tuesday through Thursday, three days last week, I want to talk to you about. I feel it's, it's uh, always strange when well, you come in the studio, uh, uh, Sheriff. On, on, the, on the Tuesday at uh, 6.13 p.m., a caller uh, up there on Mountain View Lane got into an argument with a neighbor over politics, and the neighbor began throwing things into the caller's yard. No. Just like that. Yes, sirree. And then uh, the next day, now yeah. see if you're finding a pattern in this, okay? Next day at 8.18 in the morning, the remains of a television were reported next to the roadway right there by Goss Lake Road and Melody Lane. Well, you know, if they, forensics, doing a little forensics, and if they find out what the last channel was, if it was Fox, it might have been, you know, an enraged liberal. If it was Keith Olbermann, it might have been an enraged rightist. Somebody threw the news out. Well, it's one of these fellas down there on Mountain View, I, I, I think. Now, Thursday, then, yep. then to just carry Always this Always a on. tricky day here on the island. We're talking 4 a.m., Mr. Mm. Bergman, 4 a.m. In the Hour morning, of the wolf, man. A caller on Sills Road complained about a ranting neighbor. That man, it's 4 a.m., sir. That man was on his porch yelling. Just yelling. Yeah. I think it was the same man with the politics who threw out the TV, but... And threw things in the other person's yard, God knows what. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, there's some dead dogs and deers, but I'm not going there. I'm going to move on to 7.10 in the evening. Now, it's the summertime. So same day. We got uh, long, a long, days. long days here. A dog attacked a goat on Jewett Road. No. Yeah, and the caller said it looked like the goat was going to die. Well, there was a peace, uh, 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 there was an armistice between the dogs and the goats on the island. Somebody broke it. I never heard of a fighting goat before, not on this island, I'll tell you that. Well, here's the topper, here's the topper. Uh, just a few minutes left after that, at 7.21 p.m., caller on Watkins Road reported that a woman walked into the house uninvited, walked right in, she asked, where's the puppy? I, I, can't, I can't tell you. I mean, uh, it looks like a goat to me. Yeah, well, she said that. She said that. She asked that. Where's the puppy? And she left willingly, the caller said, but, you know, she came back again later looking for that puppy. Now, I see a pattern here, Mr. Bergman. I, I see a pattern. I, I'll be back next week, and we'll figure it out, okay? You bet. Did a piece recently on WikiLeaks... Dot org, the organization the, that has been uh, kind of releasing a lot of secret American documents and films, and including that incredible footage from the gunning down from helicopter of the civilians and the reporters in Iraq. Well, it appears that WikiLeaks.org plans to release as soon as this week documents related to a U.S. airstrike that killed Afghan civilians last year and plans to release combat footage of this incident this summer, the founder of the whistleblower site said in a recent interview. And that founder is Julian Assange. He said the documents pertain to an attack near the Afghan city of Garani, which killed scores of civilians in May 2009, a little over a year ago, and now it's going to be revealed. I'm sure the Pentagon is totally unhappy about this one. In April, WikiLeaks released video footage of a U.S. Apache helicopter attack in Iraq that killed several uh, civilians, including two employees of the Reuters News Service. You know, that was part of one of that collages we did where he says, you know, come on, come on, fire, and they just keep 
bapping away at them with 50-millimeter machine guns. The release uh, catapulted WikiLeaks into global headlines and sparked debate over a site that aims to uncover government and corporate secrets. Uh, Assange says WikiLeaks does not try to identify sources. They, they asked him whether or not, you know, professor, uh, PFC, <laughs> Professor, I wonder, PFC Bradley Manning, the Army intelligent analyst who is now in a, um, I believe, a Kuwaiti prison because he released a whole bunch of documents. Uh, Assange will not uh, verify that Manning was the source for this. Uh, Nonetheless, they've secured three American lawyers pro bono to help Manning, a 22-year-old who is there in Kuwait, waiting for something to happen to him for leaking these classified or allegedly leaking these classified videos and documents to the whistleblower site. Assange, in his first public appearance since Manning's arrest, voiced concern about Manning's detention without charge and without access to a private lawyer. That's the U.S. military for you. At a European Parliament panel in Brussels, the WikiLeaks founder also took questions about his own security. His whereabouts had been the subject of much speculation in recent weeks. He canceled two appearances in the United States amid reports suggesting that U.S. authorities were seeking his arrest. Manning was also, I believe, supposed to have passed along, probably to Assange, some some over 200,000 State Department and Intelligence Services cables that he somehow had access to, made copies of, and sent along. It's going to be a nice, long, hot summer. Okay, Dave. I mean, I've always had a Jones for, you know, Orrin Hatch. He always, to me, seems to be the devil, you know, the the dapper devil. And he's, he's quiet, you know, he just waits until, like, he just can't hold it in anymore. Well, Utah voters have reacted enthusiastically to Senator Orrin Hatch's legislation to drug test the unemployed and those receiving other forms of government cash assistance. Yeah. Lose your job, get drug tested. He says, Mm -hmm. a lot of people are saying, I wonder who they are. Hey, this is him saying, hey, 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 it's about time. Why do we keep giving money to people who are going to use it on drugs instead of their families? Hatch said. So now here's the thinking. You lose your job Uh because you want to take drugs. Okay. Yes, I certainly followed that line of reasoning. Yeah. yeah. Now, my Thanks, an- one of my Senator answers Hatch. is, hey, Orrin. Okay. Hey, Orrin. <laughs> hey, hey. How about testing all the congressional interns for drugs, pregnancy, and STDs? And how about testing, say, the DNA of your Utah supporters for polygamy? You know? You never oh, know. That's a good and idea. And I'm sure if there yep, was a yep. test for heartlessness and mean-spiritedness, he'd go right off the charts. Wow. Look at him peak, man. Look at him peak. Orrin Hatch, he wants it. So this, so you come into the office, right, and you're going you're gonna to collect your unemployment check. And, pee, and, pee in and, a bucket. And, and, pee in a bucket. Pee, pee in this bucket. And the goal, he says, is not to punish the unemployed. Oh. He doesn't know any of them, so how can he yeah, punish people he, he yeah, doesn't know? Yeah. It's to get users into treatment. Well, one of the ways to get them using is to have them get unemployed and not give them money, but give them drug tests instead. He said he has gotten little feedback. This is what I love. This He has gotten little feedback from his colleagues, however. Senators Bob Bennett of Utah, just as just as conservative, as and Bob Corker, of Tennessee and Scott Brown of Massachusetts all told the Huffington Post they don't have an opinion yet uh-huh. on, on his measure and we'll have to, and this is always the great cop-up, they're going to have to study the language. Study I. the language. Find mm-hmm. some way to avoid associating themselves with this cockamamie bill. Now, Senator Barbara Mikulski of Maryland said, I think it's a punitive attitude. Who's going to pay for the test? What's the point of the test? You, you know, what do you want to drug 
drug test people who have lost their job. And Hatch said, no, this is it. This Mm -hmm. is roundabout. Mm -hmm. This is so circular, it makes me dizzy. He said, the test would be paid for with money saved by not paying benefits. Any money's left over would go to help the states with the drug testing and so forth. And if there's any surplus, it goes to pay off the deficit. Man, that's that's better than the $1.75 they've added to the price of cigarettes in New York City. Yeah, and just as punitive. Give me immortality or give me death. That's the motto here at Ralph's Ball Sports, new and used body shop in the city of the future. Hi, friend, Ralph's Ball Sports here to tell you that everybody must die, but you don't have to be there when it happens. That's why we're having a great going out of body sale. Yes, you can live forever while your friends fall apart around you like rotten fruit. And here's how. Lease an organ or limb from our headless body farm. It's made in America from Americans. Enter the new century with these exclusive clone-ons. Napfalor designer jeans, deluxe follicle hair mat grafting with upgraded media-sensitive stimulated wrapper filler, rear roll, non-glossy carbon-intensified glue guards, power moons, and tinted tent grill spoilers in slash dash or faux flannel. So come on down to Ralph's Ballsport City of the Future and do it today because there may not be a tomorrow. McNewspaper reports that a Christian group is denouncing Barack Obama's salute to families headed by two fathers in the recent president's Father's Day proclamation. The proclamation says, quote, nurturing families come in many forms and children may be raised by a father and mother, a single father, two fathers, a stepfather, a grandfather or caring guardian. American Family Association President Tim Wildman says, This is the first time in our nation's history that a president has used Father's Day as an excuse to promote the radical homosexual agenda and completely redefine the word family. What a putz! Has Tim ever encountered a same-sex parent household, or is he just paying his mortgage and hiding his hidden evil tendencies by railing against caring men who choose to raise a child? But White House uh, uh, Deputy Press Secretary Bill Burton says Obama was simply trying to be inclusive and notes that the president used similar language in his Mother's Day proclamation. That May 7th proclamation said nurturing families include those headed by two mothers. Obama recently hosted a gay pride event at the White House. Okay, that will give the American Family Association a, a chance to rail at gay families again. Uh, oh, two mothers. Instead of noting that single-sex parented families have a lower divorce rate and abuse rate than heterosexual parented families. It does make you wonder. This is from Politico. I know you like this because it's about incivility. Ooh. Ooh yeah. In civil times. Listen up, you morons. The United States has gotten less civil. Two out of three Americans consider a general lack of civility to be a major problem for the nation, and 72% think that poor behavior has gotten worse in recent years. What do you think, Dave? Three quarters of the respondents asked this question, thought that we were being ruder than ever. And they're right. They're right. What can I say? Three quarters? Yeah. Yeah, And you only have to look at the media to see it. I mean, the talking heads, everybody's rude to everybody. Anybody that stops to give anybody the chance to finish their sentence is dead. All right. And while incivility is a problem in virtually all walks of life, politicians may be particularly vulnerable. Some 83% of those polled said people should not vote for candidates and politicians who are uncivil. So that means an empty Senate and an empty House of However, we know that in the Senate, yeah. if they're not civil, 
Right. I mean, it's, that's all the rules. They've got to say, my honored uh, colleague who is a complete idiot. No, they can't say that. Yeah, my they, distinguished they, idiot. My distinguished idiot. They can't say that either. No, 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 no. no. no well, no. someone asked okay. how they describe the general tone and level of civility that 1,003 adults polled produced the following results. Okay, where is the uncivility? Okay. Government and politics, 72%. 72% rude. Okay. Traffic on, on roads, 69%. Oh, that guy just gave me the finger. The American public in general. 61%. We're an uncivil nation, 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. Well, that, that includes all those people who are talking on their iPhones rudely while they're walking down the street. Right? Talk radio, 59%. 59%. High schools, 59%. They're pretty much the same talk radio in high schools. <laughs> it's just on a different level. Yeah, Hollywood right. celebrities, 56%, because they're on talk radio and people in high school are listening are they to rude them. Hollywood celebrities? Oh, yes. Professional sports, 54%. If you could really hear everything they're saying in those oh, games, oh, yeah, yeah. they'd be no, up no, close no, to 100. They're, they're definitely there. Yep. Tell Television, 52%. Of course, mm-hmm. 59% of the high schools are watching television with talk radio and Hollywood celebrities and professional sports people. Blogs, 51%. CEOs, 49%. They consider half of the CEOs in America uncivil. Gee. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do News, they know half of the CEOs in America? I don't know where they're watching them. Yeah. News reporters, commentators, 48%. Then it goes down from there. Social networking, mm-hmm. 43%, et cetera, et cetera, Well, but cetera. they're still pretty high numbers. It gets down to places of worship, 14%. So about a sixth of the churches are uncivil. They're saying things that are people, that are driving people away. Dear friends, <laughs> you are such dumb heads out yeah, there. Yeah. How can you go on the way you are? No, I, I think it's, it's – it, I like the combination there of high school and, and talk radio. And television, and, and television sports, and, sports. and celebrities. That's, and that, celebrities. Yeah, and celebrities. That, yeah. That's, the magic, uh, that's the magic crowd there because they are all rude to one another. Yeah, continuously. And they're teaching the high schoolers how to be rude to one another. Plus, I think r- rude gets you press. Oh, it does. It gets you ink. Ink gets you a job, you but, know? But it ain't going to get you customers because as a people, uh, <clears throat> we pay, we're paying a price for being jerks. Nearly half of all Americans say they are tuning out of government and politics. 46% are tuning out of opinion pieces and editorials in the media. And 38% are tuning out of news coverage and reporting. That does not include Radio Free Oz, by the way. We are not part of the poll, and that's good news. And 75% of Americans believe uncivil companies should be boycotted, and more than 56% have already done so based on their own personal experiences. Wow. That's well, good news. Yeah, that, that's good news. You know, what I have to say. Um. Of it now. Well, there's a progressive in the Senate who says that the uh, Wall Street reform just ain't strong enough. And Democrats are in hot pursuit of that Senator, Russ Feingold, whose vote for Wall Street reform could be crucial. But Feingold says, he's told the White House and key congressional leaders that he's still a no unless the bill gets significantly stronger. I love Russ Feingold. I mean, he stands up. He said, during the debate on the financial regulatory reform bill, I made it clear that I would only support a strong bill that can prevent another financial crisis. Seems reasonable. Neither the House bill nor the Senate bill passed that test. Well, why are we not surprised? The new New Deal hasn't fully, you know, clocked in. There are a lot of people in the Senate, you know, who have their hands surgically, uh, you know, sewn to the pockets of Wall Street. So they're not going to be too happy to see anything of of any real value getting done. Uh, 
Now, Feingold says, I've spoken to, to Senate leaders, the Obama administration, and members of the conference committee and made my concerns well known. I opposed deregulating Wall Street and eliminating the protections of the Glass-Steagall Act, a position which put me at odds with many in Washington who supported the very policies that contributed to the financial crisis and who now support these bills that simply don't get the job done. Without including stronger reforms, we're simply whistling past the graveyard. And we're all living in that graveyard as he speaks. Uh, what Russ and any level-headed Wall Street reformer wants is the following. This is, this is his list. The Cantwell-McCain-Feingold Amendment to restore the Glass-Steagall firewall between Wall Street and Main Street. This is absolutely central to reforming Wall Street. Up until the Clinton administration and corporate Clinton gave it all away, you know, you couldn't be a bank and an investment house at the same time. There's an inherent conflict of interest. So Cantwell, McCain, and Feingold, you know, every once in a while, dang fence McCain comes up with the right bill. He's got his name in the right place at the right time. He's become kind of a sad creature. We'll do a story on that later. But every once in a while, his star does rise. Okay, then there's Senator Dorgan's too-big-to-fail amendment, which requires that no financial entity be permitted to become so large that its failure threatens the financial stability of the U.S., Plus, we might, for example, make it uh, illegal to let the Deutsche Bank own trillions of dollars worth of these bubble mortgages. We might just kind of find out that small may be just a little better. Then there's the Brown-Kaufman Amendment proposing strict limits on the size of financial institutions. But this is the same Brown, that's that now a Republican from Massachusetts that wants to screw around with the the whole deal on derivatives. He wants to let those mumsers go back to their same old bad habits. Then there's also the Dorgan Amendment to ban so-called naked credit default swaps, speculative bets that played a role in the economic crisis. N naked meaning, well, when you sell something short, you bet against it, you, f you feel its price is going to go down. If you own that stock, that's called a covered short. You've got the stock. I'm going to sell it to you two years from now for, or five minutes from now for this, this amount of money. If it's worth less than that when it comes up, you've made money. If it's worth more, you lost. But naked means you don't have the stocks to begin with. You're just betting, and that puts everybody at risk. And finally, the Merkley-Levin Amendment to prohibit any bank with government-insured deposits from engaging in high-risk finance, like investing in hedge funds or private equity funds. It's actually this. It's the Merkley-Levin Amendment that Brown wants to scuttle. Hey, either get tough or get out of town. There were ten little bozos sitting on a bus One joined the Navy, now there's nine of us Nine little bozos sitting in the draft One went crazy and the rest all laughed Eight dumb bozos riding in a van They can't get there, then no one can Everyone's a bozo on this bus Zips and Bean are sitting next to us Are you a hostage? Are you a spy? Just some berserker who's prepared to die We left eight stupid bozos sitting in a tub 
one got poached and had to leave the club. Seven mellow bozos with their brains all fried. One threw in the towel and the rest all cried. Six frat bozos tied up in a spot. One dove out the window, but the rest got caught. Everyone's a bozo on this bus. Sips and Bean are sitting next to us. Are you a hostage? Are you a spy? Or just some bazooka who's prepared to die? Five red-nosed bozos burning in the sand. Things got so hot that one joined the band. That left four and there ain't no more. The driver got in and closed the door. Four angry bozos, no place to hide. The bus pulls out and we're on the ride. Out that the pole would make it They kicked out the driver and they said Let's take it They can afford to be bozos on a bus They ain't afraid to use the word us One thing sure for the final four They know this bus won't go to war Well everyone's a bozo on this bus Sips and Peter sitting next to us Are you a hostage? Are you a spy? Some berserker who's prepared to die This bus Won't go This bus Won't go This bus Won't go to war This bus Show, huh? Oh, for Boy, sure. Yeah, were you all convinced? Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I don't know. I'm going to have to see it again before I decide. Yeah. Well, whatever. The bus is over there if you don't want to go. Oh, you mean the bus that isn't going? Yeah. Oh, really. good. Well, I better not get on then. No, oh, I'm come on. Go. Follow come on. me. Let's go. Well, Peter, I hear you have uh, more news from the great state of Illinois. Yeah, well, Mark Kirk is a representative there, a real Goomba, and he is running for Senate, and he's the guy that's been making all these claims about who he is and what he's been doing, and more and more of them turning out to be not true. I was in the Army, but I wasn't. Yeah. I, I taught oh, school, but there's I didn't. More. Oh, it, oh, it, oh, there's it more. Oh, it gets deeper, yeah. Oh, so, gosh. So he was having a debate with the guy that he's running against, and afterwards, he literally ran out of the hotel door rather than answer questions about a host of these recent reports that he repeatedly has exaggerated his experience and credentials. How these guys think they're getting away with it. And he wears elevator shoes, too. Yeah. Go the, right the Peter Cottontail moment happened at the downtown Hyatt Regency, I believe in Chicago, where about a thousand folks were on hand for this annual you know, debate. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, his opponent stopped for a couple of minutes to chat with reporters. He left quickly after speaking, but had a good reason, a fundraiser with Vice President Joe Biden. Okay, lunch was then serve. Mr. Kirk arrived after lunch, coming in via a side door. He spoke for about 20 minutes, then walked down from the dais to have his picture taken with some bigwig. As soon as that was done, with a swarm of TV cameras and reporters moving toward the front of the ballroom, Mr. Kirk bolted for a back door. With immediate hot pursuit, he raced through a Hyatt kitchen and into the backseat of a black (laughs) SUV, which instantly (laughs) peeled away. 
Mr. Kirk, of course, has been under increasing scrutiny for falsely suggesting that he was named the Naval Intelligence Officer of the Year, commanded the Pentagon's war room, came under fire while on active duty, and declared he learned more about the impact of guns while teaching at a British prep school for a year at an upstate New York nursery school. What? What? In addition... (laughs) A Pentagon official has said Mr. Kirk improperly engaged in political activities, media interviews, and tweets while deployed overseas. So he did none of these. He was not the Naval Intelligence Officer of the Year. He didn't command the Pentagon's war room. How could he possibly claim that? He's been what is it, we're watching West Wing? I wonder and, what he said for 20 minutes. And when he was on active duty, yeah. uh, uh, he said he came under fire. He didn't, probably just from his from his uh, you know superiors for being such a... a Dick, and he declared that he learned about the impact of guns while teaching at a British prep school for a year at an upstate New York nursery school. Whatever that means, I don't know. That's but, incomprehensible, but we, we, they're all incomprehensible. Anyway, no wonder he was running away, right? Running away. Yeah. Running away from reporters. So he, uh, This is a death wish this guy has. Yeah. What, what is it? What is it about exaggerating your experience? That that anybody would think, you know, public records show how much you made, where your house is, and whether or not you were in the Marines. And, and whether or not long. you ran the war room for the Pentagon. That's like a yes or a no. That's not like, well, you know, I wonder, maybe he did. A lot of people do. They just kind of come and go and yeah, run that yeah, room. They come, yeah. The man, it's low self-esteem, you know, and I hope that he gets low voting numbers, too. Sometimes, Peter, I think we're just circling the drain. Leslie Gelb just did a nice blog for the Daily Beast. Gelb is a a prize winner. I'm not sure. I think it's the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, that's what he won. He might have won prizes in a lottery and other stuff, but he won the Pulitzer Prize. And he's a former correspondent for the New York Times, had been a senior official in state and defense uh, department uh, activities. He's an expert on U.S. foreign policy and national security. I think he does qualify. I think he's the former president or executive something of the Foreign Relations Committee, which according to some people, along with the Trilateral Commission and the Illuminati and the aliens from Saturn, are really running the place. They don't have any time to sit down and have any kind of like serious, nuanced thoughts about political economy. You know, it's it's the Jews and the Trilateral Commission and it's the Arabs and the people from Saturn. And if we just get rid of them or join them, then everything's going to be okay. Okay. Okay, well, what, well I, I digress and love to do it. Uh, Gelb has some real interesting kind of background on this whole McChrystal thing. You know, my governor, should be governor, excuse me. Let's call him General McChrystal. Uh, blows off his big mouth. We'll talk about the background on that in a little bit. But, you know, he goes rogue and uh, everybody gets all upset. But here's the background on the military and Washington and the Democrats in general from Gelb. He says, here's the real story behind the nasty anti-Obama remarks by General Stanley McChrystal and his staff. In Rolling Stone, he said, the U.S. military officers and enlisted ranks don't like and don't trust Democrats and liberals. The bad feelings are mainly about values, style, and constancy more than policy. The military feel the Democrats come at common problems from a different place and don't stick to agreed plans when the going gets rough. The Rolling Stone article barely mentions policy differences over Afghanistan or anything else and whether or not Mr. Obama fires the U.S. NATO commander, and that may or may not have happened by the time you hear this, there's likely to be a firestorm of criticism about the White House perhaps reaching Tea Party proportions. 
Also, very much at the forefront of military minds is the president's push to eliminate don't ask, don't tell guidelines regarding gays and lesbians serving in uniform. It's hard to get a fix on what percentage of the military approves of or is willing to go along with gays serving openly in the armed forces, but there is, at the very least, a strong minority fanatically opposed to the repeal of the policy. And this latter group appreciates that Republicans never would have promoted this idea. This issue is encased in an even greater tension between the military and the Democrats over religion. A large percentage of the military considers itself strongly Christian and feels that Republicans are more accepting of the faith than Democrats are. Well, yeah, that never used to be much of an issue in the military, but now, for example, the Air Force Academy, which is in Colorado Springs, where Focus and the Family and all the other homophobes live, there's been... There's been real religious hazing and bigotry problems there that they've had to deal with, which never came up before. You know, there used to be hazing problems where they made people eat the wrong stuff and they killed a couple of people because they hazed them too heavily. But it was never religious. It was just bad boy fun. All right. All of this distrust of the Democrats, problems over religion, problems over gay, all this contributes to a broader us versus them conflict over values. Stylistic tensions only make everything else worse. Military officers believe they don't know where Democrats stand toward them, whereas Republicans let them know clearly where they agree or disagree with military positions. It's true. The old-style Republicans, real Republicans, not the crazoids, but the ones I, when I was an intern in the Kennedy administration way back in the day. They said what they meant. I mean, you may not have agreed with them, but they were very straightforward. And Democrats were a little more squidgy and a little more manipulative and a little more hidden. Perhaps most importantly in wartime, we're back with Gelb now, the military feel that Republicans are much more likely to stay the course than Democrats. Most Democrats were war hawks on Vietnam, only to become doves as the war dragged on and costs mounted. Well, they also became aware of the fact that it was an unwinnable, racist uh, and empire war. Maybe the Republicans just couldn't get it. Well, some of them did. A Republican Secretary of Defense, Mel Laird, guided U.S. withdrawals from that conflict, but never pretended he was trying to win, and the military admired his candor. Many Democrats supported George W. Bush's invasion of Iraq, by the way, an illegal invasion of Iraq, but they didn't know it at the time, only to split off soon thereafter. Yeah, they were lied to. And as far as the military is concerned, they smell the same sense of, re of retreat, coming from Obama's White House over Afghanistan. Obama once proclaimed the need to, in quotes, defeat the enemy in that country, and now seems to be suggesting withdrawals that the uniforms deem premature. Well, let me tell you, the way things are going in Afghanistan, if you want to win there, any withdrawal would be premature because it's never going to happen. On top of this uncertainty, the military is all too aware that there's a lot of evidence that the war is going badly. They believe it's too early to make final judgments, but feel the White House has made some already. It's bad news that they haven't talked to each other seriously about the possibility that this war is totally unwinnable. So we read in the Huffington Post that Israel has just launched another spy satellite aimed specifically at Iran. So why are they surprised that Iran has announced that it would send a blockade-busting ship carrying aid and pro-Palestinian activists to Gaza, fueling concern in Israel where commandos were training for another possible confrontation at sea. And it looks like it's coming. 
Israel warned uh, its arch enemy Iran to drop the plan, like Iran is listening. The Iranian announcement came days after Israel eased its three-year-old blockade of Gaza under international pressure following its deadly raid on a Gaza-bound flotilla last month. If that if that tragedy had not taken place, there they probably would still be blockading Gaza from uh, from the sea. No one in their right mind can believe that a ship sent by the Ayatollahs and their revolutionary guards has anything to do with humanitarian aid, said Israeli Foreign Ministry spokesman Yigal Palmore. I don't think there is one single country in this region and beyond that would let such an Ayatollah ship come near its coasts. Well, he's wrong. Security officials said the prospect of an Iranian boat headed for Gaza had Israel deeply worried, yeah, and that naval commandos were training for the possibility of taking on a vessel with a suicide bomber on board. The officials spoke on condition of anonymity, etc., etc., they always do. After an international outcry over the killing of nine Turkish activists uh, at the end of May, Israel eased its land blockade of Gaza but insisted on maintaining a naval blockade it said is necessary to keep weapon shipments out of the hands of Gaza's Hamas rulers. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of medical supplies. There's really not a whole lot of food. There's not a lot of school books, but there's a lot of weapons in Gaza. Israel imposed the blockade after Hamas, with its violently anti-Israel agenda, overran the Palestinian territory in June of 2007. Now, Egypt had joined Israel in blockading Gaza, but it had opened its land crossing with the territory indefinitely after the, the May uh, raid uh, led, to, uh, led to the need for thousands of Palestinians to come through. Egyptian transportation official said his country was ready to back off the naval blockade as well. He said Egypt would not prevent the Iranian ship from passing through the Suez Canal, a strategic passageway that connects the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea, and the, the, the Gaza border. So if they're going to let the Iranian sh- ship through, then they're part of the problem. As long as the ship is not at war with Egypt and doesn't pollute the air, water, or land, then it will be allowed to cross, the Egyptian said. Iran State Television reported that an Iranian ship called Infants of Gaza, they probably just renamed it from uh, Ain't Got No Nukes, you know, not, would sail soon for Gaza carrying 1,100 tons of relief supplies and 10 pro-Palestinian activists. Just what they need in Gaza, another 10 pro-Palestinian activists. Man, this is a bad scene just waiting to happen. It's a sad story. This is from the, the gray lady. It's, uh, it's about Mr. Dangfence, Senator Dangfence, uh, Less than two years after he was defeated by Barack Obama, nothing seems quite the same for Senator John McCain, who has gone from being his party's candidate for president, rallying a thousand supporters at a Florida football stadium, to furiously defending his Senate seat before 60 recession-weary residents in a Hampton Inn in Lake Havasu, Arizona. Oh, boy. Oh, oh I wouldn't want to go there and play in front of that crowd. You know, I, I wish I could feel sorry for John, but he is the man that basically made it possible for Sarah Palin to be president of the United States. He said, it's okay with me. I don't care. The world's at risk. I'll do anything to be president. I'll bring this. This She is a bimbo. 
in the in the best sense. She is a a truly charismatic, ignorant bimbo, and she was going to be president of the United States. Okay, gone are the jovial back and forth with veteran biker dudes at state fairs, long bus rides, straight talk, straight talking through South Carolina, watching the U.S. Open with Lindsey Graham, and visions of party dominance in Washington. Remember those days? Gone are his efforts to engage Mr. Obama directly, and said he portrays himself as taking on the status quo of Mr. Obama's Washington. Well, there's a the status a quo. Mm-hmm. Yep. And okay. his new position is one of defense. He's fending off a primary fight from the right flank of his party in the form of former Representative J.D. Hayworth, as well as withering criticism of his former position on immigration, which, in fact, he was just fair-minded, right? That's too, that's too bad. You're a, you're a Republican with a fair-minded record on immigration. You're going down. Fair-minded record on anything. He also seems to be engaged in a battle within himself, hewing to the high road, as he has historically done, but at times unleashing the anger he seems to feel about the outcome of the 2008 race. I don't think bringing us Sarah Palin is the high road in any possible way. And he's angry about not getting elected after what happened in 2000? No, he is. Come on. He wasn't elected. Yeah. On the trail these days, he has less of the energy generated by a run for the White House, less of that energy, and the candidate often seems to be striking a different tone. Back in 2008, remember the town hall meeting when presidential candidate McCain snatched the microphone away from that older woman who referred to Mr. Obama as an Arab? Oh, yes. And protested, no, no, ma'am. He's a decent family man with whom I happen to have some disagreements. Now, the other day, in front of 100 people at the Parker Community Senior Center in western Arizona where it's hotter than Hooker and, you know, and, and, and Hellmouth, a man who identified himself as a Vietnam veteran said, I want to know what this guy, what's his name? Let me see. Hussein, Barack Hussein Obama's doing about our health care. Senate candidate McCain's face flashed with brief amusement. Mm-hmm. And then he gazed towards the scuffed floor and settled into a grimace. Well, we, we all want to be respectful to the president of the United States, he said. Oh, there that brings that's that's that that brings respect back in. That uh-huh. that, that we is, all want to be respectful. That is as that is as good as he gets. You know? That's it. Huh? That's it. That's it. And he's running. He's running against a, a, a right wing talk show wingnut. So if he's beaten, he's going to be beaten by right wing trash. This is this is what he's been brought down to. Seems to me with all of this hangdogness that's going along with it, he doesn't even want to be senator. What no. does he go to? No, the honorable thing for McCain to do would be to retire, get himself out of this, be an honorable man. Uh, maybe get a job in the next uh, Obama administration. You know, I mean, they got places for Republicans if you if you're copacetic. Well, you know, it, the the odd thing is though, you'd say, well, he is one of the last of the sane Republicans, but he does all these insane things. He he goes down to the fence with a with a guy that looks like a stormtrooper and and talks about bring the army down here and we can take care of these immigrants and push them through. Finish this dang fence. He's he is a I think he may be bipolar. Could be bipolar. I got the solution, though, for the fence. What's that? I figured it out. No. Well, if all of the uh, the, the liberals, the left-wingers, the do-gooders, the bleeding hearts. All them. All them. The wusses. I, yeah. I, the wusses. I want to see the wusses down there on the, on the border yeah. between uh, uh, Mexico and Arizona. Right. And I want to see them holding hands. Yes. And I want to hear them sing. Kumbaya. Kumbaya, or we shall overcome. Either one would keep any immigrant out of the United States. 
fat and docile, big and dumb. They look so stupid, they aren't much fun. Cows aren't fun. They eat to grow, grow to die, die to be et at the hamburger fry. Cows well done. Nobody thunk it, nobody knew. No one imagined the great cow guru. Cows are one. He hid in the forest, read books with great zeal. He loved Che Guevara, a revolutionary veal. Cows say tongue. He spoke about justice, but nobody stirred. He felt like an outcast, alone in the herd. Cow doll drums. He moved we must fight, escape or we'll die. Cows gathered around, cause the stakes were so high. Bad cow pun. But then he was captured, stuffed into a crate, loaded onto a truck where he rode to his fate. Cows are bummed. He was a scrawny calf who looked rather woozy. No one suspected he was packing an Uzi. Cows with guns. They came with a needle to stick in his thigh. He kicked for the groin. He pissed in their eye. Cow well hung. Knocked over a tractor and ran for the door. Six gallons of gas flowed out on the floor. Run, cows, run. He picked up a bullhorn and jumped up on the hay. We are free roving bovines. We run free today. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or die. Cows with guns. Crashed the gate in a great stampede, tipped over milk truck, torched all the feed. Cows have fun. Sixty police cars were piled in a heap, covered in cow pies, covered up deep. Much cow dung. Black smoke rising, darken in the day, twelve burning McDonald's. Have it your way. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or die. Cows with guns. The president said, "Enough is enough." These uppity cattle. It's time to get tough. Cow dung flung. The newspapers gloated. Folks sighed with relief. Tomorrow at noon, they would all be ground beef. Cows on buns. The cows were surrounded. They waited and prayed. They mooed their last moos. They chewed their last hay. Cows outgunned. The order was given to turn cows to whoppers, enforced by the might 
of 10,000 coppers. But on the horizon, surrounding the shoppers, came the deafening roar of chickens in choppers. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or die. Cows with guns. Well, folks, it's time once again on a Tuesday. I mean, it may not be Tuesday where you are, but where I am, it's Tuesday. And every Tuesday, Radio Free Oz brings you theater inside your mind. Yes, crawl in your mind. And today you can hear the Fireside Theater with their famous Chiller Theater. Well, um... Shall we move on to the weekly cereal? Oh, people are oh, waiting, sure. man. Oh, sure. This no, kills also. This is a cereal killer. It's more exciting than the Big Brother, you know? Okay, stand by. Here it comes. Portabakey International Pictures presents The Fuse of Doom, a new Frank Acme serial thriller, part two, The Curse of Cobra Valley. As we departed our last mesmerizing episode, the mysterious electrician had struck at the overtly furnished home of Jonas Acme, industrial giant, paralyzing Dr. Archetype and stealing his most valuable invention, the Zeppelin Tube, a great tool for good or evil. We'd rejoin our story as publisher Charles Foster Dudley says... Archetype! Archetype! Look at that glassy stare in his mouth. This is terrible, Dudley. My my tube's been purloined. See here, Acme. Here? I don't see No, over squat. there. Oh, over there. there, the professor's got a fuse in his mouth. Ooh. A blown fuse. Oh, I, I, parked the, uh, I parked the plane on the boat, Dad. Is the party still going on? Oh, hey, what, what happened to Dr. Archetype? Frank, uh... I don't think you've ever met my old friend and newspaper magnate, Charles Dudley. Oh, it's an honor, sir. No, it's a pity. Oh, that too. No, it's a pity we have to meet at a time like this, Frank. Oh, sorry. Time is of the essence, Dud. Don't ever forget that. You too, Frank. All right. Okay, uh, I forgot it because I forgot to take my ginkgo martini oh. here all around, nice and dry. Oh. I'm not too dry, and there's no time left like the present. We've got to get archetype functioning again. Mm-hmm. We've got to find the two. I say, Frank, do you happen to have a spare fuse? Well, well, sir, a pilot like me needs one of everything. Sure, here. It may be too late. Mm-hmm. Well, wait, 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 wait. He's coming around. He's coming around again. Professor, professor, speak to me. Tell me, the fiend who stole the Zeppelin tube, who was he? What does he want? Uh, Sir, excuse me, but he he can't act with that fuse in his mouth. Superb thinking, son. Thank you. Here, I'll twist it out, like I did last summer. Now. I remember. The astonishing face. It was, it was, it turned out, you'll never believe this. 
He's run out of juice, Dad. Never my problem. We've got to think of something. What? Let's put our heads together. Right. Oh! Ow. Ow. I've got it! I've, it worked! Painful sound effect. I, I'm going to call my friend Inspector Fang of Oriental Intelligence. What are you going to call him? Jim. No, you mustn't. Why not? Well, I never thought of it that way, Dud. Mm, neither did I. But you're right, of course. Uh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. You fight it out between yourselves. Okay, I, I'm, mother. I'm oh. going to wheel Dr. Oh. Arctype into the solarium and try to rewire him, Dad. Okay, Dud. Well, Only Arctype knows who fried his wig. Great. We must act surreptitiously, but... With utmost secrecy. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Neither do I, but that's good words. Let's discuss our strategy over a quick Jeroboam ah. of champagne. Nippon Cadet. Hot six. Very good. I'll drink to that. Uh, you'll drink. Oh! oh, you'll drink to anything, you messy old man. You know, looking up at me, I... Don't look up at oh, me. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I've looked up at me and I get nothing on Google. <laughs> look at that charming ceiling. It seems to be so close. I don't believe I've ever noticed that fresco It's before. an original fettuccine, so flat, so thin. I should have recognized the fabulous fettuccine perspective. Which, what's that? Oh, you feel as if your nose is right inside the central figure of the tableau. Ah, his painstaking concern for minute detail is true. Truly oppressive. Every hair. Oh, who is she? Oh my God, Dudley! The ceiling is moving down on us. I don't think so. It's the floor. It's moving up. Oh, it's oh. just a matter of perspective. We're, We're doomed. Stay tuned. Next fire time, same fire station. For care of the cow brings good fortune. The next overpowering episode of the Fuse of Doom. As above, so below, it begins, it has to end. So the show's wrapping up, time to tang away, Dave. I got a couple of couple of tangs here. Um, we still have, it's a wonderful book full of tangs. I got to give credit every once in a while to the translator, David Young. Terrific translations. Get this one. This is called Goodbye at the River. In this little river town, the autumn rain lets up. The wine's all gone. Well then, goodbye. You stretch out in your boat. The sail fills. You skim home past islands burning with flowers, banks crowded with willows. What about me? I don't know. I think I'll go sit on that big rock and fish. Good idea. Radio Free Oz and the Oz team makes it happen. I'm your host, Peter Bergman. David Osman, our co-host. Phil Fountain, the man that makes it so beautiful. Tom Gedwillow in charge of the web. Chaz Glass, doing our finances and keeping us honest. Dave Maloney, honestly recording our beautiful sounds. Bill McIntyre produces it all. And Scott Wiles in charge of the social media. Tomorrow, tomorrow, and tomorrow. Tomorrow.